All right. Welcome back to Shellyville. So glad you could join me today. My name is Michelle Clear. I'm a licensed professional counselor and Shellyville is my safe space to talk about things that are mental, crazy, fun, um, pretty much my life as a therapist for 12 years now, which is shocking to believe that I've been a therapist that long. I have experienced quite a bit of experiences with people in many different moods, but the one that comes up the most is the bipolar disorder. And so Justin is in the office with me today, and we really want to talk about a little bit more about me and why I am the therapist I am, how I got here, and a little bit about why I'm so in love with the bipolar disorder. So Justin, I'm glad you could join me. I know you have some questions for me today, and I just think this is going to be fun. Let's talk about the one that people freak out about this disorder, I think, the most. Yeah, and first off, I've never said I've never heard anybody say that they love a mental disorder. So that's an <laughs> interesting way to bring it in. So Oh, I do. And you the reason why I love bipolar disorder so much, one is because it's one of the most unique and it's the hardest one to diagnose. But it's also the one that has the most fascinating components to it. Because it's not just mood, it's not just thought, and it's not just actions. You need all three of those to diagnose bipolar. So it's really cool. And it's also one of the longest, it's the most recorded disorder that we have. It is pretty much the godfather of where mental health illnesses started. So I think it's just fascinated me from that point of view. It's also, it used to be called manic depressive. And earlier when I talked about Shellyville and I talked about my big family, manic depressive was introduced to me when I was 11 years old because my older brother, Tony, was diagnosed with that when he was in his early 20s. So I've had this experience of what does this bipolar, well, back then they called it manic depressive. And it was basically a manic mood with a depressive mood. And my brother's bipolar pretty much came on, I think, from drugs. He was he went away to Nam, Nam Guam, and uh, I think he did a lot of drugs. And he might have had this mental illness anyways, but I think it was brought on by that. And so it's just the whole disorder has always kind of just fascinated me because there's a lot of complexity and it runs in my family. Yeah, absolutely. So my, uh, I guess my first question is, what is bipolar disorder? And I think you you covered that. <laughs> well, um, and, I did. And with it being, and I think it's important too to know the definition, just because um, it can be such a a word that's thrown around to describe somebody who's up and down, mm-hmm. like oh, that that person's just being bipolar. Right. It's almost used as an adjective in a way because it's you know you can use it to describe somebody whose emotions are all over the chart, even though. That may or may not be the case. Right. So I guess by the book definition, what would you, how would you say, um, how would you define bipolar just kind of in a sentence or two? Okay. So, so the way that it's diagnosed, like there's four different kind of diagnoses and there's a lot of criteria behind it. So this is just a very broad, general, I'm just being really polite with this. (laughs) Basically, you have to have an episode of severe depression, which is pretty substantial depression. It's nest, It's like the physical depression, the checking out on your life, like not... It's not your seasonal blues. No, it's yeah. way, it's a pretty severe depression. So you have to have at least that. But then there's the second part that you have to have, and that is the hypomania or the mania. And a lot of people don't talk about that part or understand that part, but that's the part where we have 
excessive energy. We have we don't want to sleep. There's a lot of energy. Like you have this need to talk, this need to communicate. Your everything about you is like it's almost like you're exaggerated. Everything is heightened. It's like it, you're just in this extremely euphoric state of thinking, which you would think would be normal after coming out of a depression. Mm-hmm. So what's really hard to diagnose is that people don't come to the doctor when they're in that hip hypomania state. They only go in when they're depressed. And so that's why it makes it a little bit hard to diagnose. But what I like about it or what I find it fascinating is that if you can understand someone's highs, you can understand whether or not they really have bipolar. Because in our high state, that's when we're doing our impulse control problems. That's when we're being, um, we're not sleeping as much. That's usually when we're kind of not taking care of ourselves. Things are going crazy. That's usually, and that's usually when some of the bad stuff's happening. That's usually when we're getting in trouble with alcohol or drugs or excessive amounts of sleeping around or, you know, hey, you're not going to go to the doctor and tell them that you're in debt or that you, you know, you keep changing your jobs every three months. Like that's when you start really knowing that that part is that hypo part, that really high part Mm -hmm. is not a happy place. Like you're, it's destructive. Yeah. Like that's the destructive part of bipolar, but that doesn't, that's an extreme. These are like extremes. And what makes bipolar so hard to manage or understand is that you have to have both of those components somehow, some way in part of your personality and what you're doing in mood to be diagnosed with bipolar. So someone who comes with anxiety and then someone who comes with depression might not necessarily have bipolar disorder, but they're certainly going to get my attention because I'm going to start looking at that. And that's kind of what I like about it because I like the fact that I don't always just have to look at the severe depression part, I think the fun parts and the mania. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's bipolar will tell you that is the fun part. (laughs) We love that. That's that's my happy place. Like I feel great when I'm in mania. I feel great when I just like I have an exaggerated sense of life. I'm very optimistic. Things are just so great at that time. So that's why uh, diagnosing bipolar or having a simple definition for it is really hard. And I think that's why people get kind of pissed because oh, you know, that guy was bipolar and he, you know, we blame so much of the crimes that are happening. That guy was bipolar. Well, what level of bipolar was he? Like what's, you know, I mean, I have two kids. They are two different levels of bipolar. I have bipolar and I am the third level, which is, it's very hard for me to pronounce, but it's cyclothomatic. Okay. And that just means that I have tiny little roller coasters. Doesn't mean that I have extremes. It means that I have experienced depression and it means I've experienced the mania, but not to the extremes. Not that it's caused me trouble. I haven't been hospitalized. I haven't, you know, been extremely the other way. It hasn't gotten me in trouble. Now, I've done some crazy stuff and I do know when I am getting to that mania that scares me when I start losing sleep or I have no need for sleep. That kind of scares me because then I feel like that's going to throw me into a mania. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> mania is not fun. No. Like it's not. That's where all the dangerous. That's like that's when I get in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. So let me ask you this and I'll kind of switch gears a little bit. We're going to come back to your 
get the different types and okay. kids in just a second. But okay. um, who do you think, is there a certain subsect of the population who's more susceptible um, to bipolar or is there any like sign, like any, any, I guess who is at risk for developing Everybody. bipolar? Everybody is. Everybody's at risk. Okay. It's not, it's not, they do find it very, it is a genetic disorder. Okay. So but, it can be hereditary. So it's definitely hereditary. And what they're, what I discovered or when I was reading is that bipolar shows up in families at younger and younger ages. So let's say 20 years ago, someone, an adult had it. Now, maybe 20 years later, the kids are going to start seeing signs of it. So if it's been in family for a long time, it starts showing up at younger and younger ages in the next couple generations moving on. So it does stay in families for a long time. It's very hard to get out of it. But it's also, it's also can be masked. Like this is one of the biggest masked disorders out there because a lot of people that have been diagnosed with alcoholism or drug abuse they have somewhere, somewhere, there's been some bipolar in their, their history too. Yeah, because you can, like, if it's, I can speak on alcohol. I don't use any drugs, but, you know, alcohol, you can use that when you're happy and it extenuate, extenuates your happiness or mm -hmm. you can use it when you're sad and try to use it to make you less sad. Right. Um, and, it, and it can accomplish both of those things for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And then... The end result is typically, oh, I feel like crap the next day. So, yes, mm -hmm. and that happens, and that happens with, and that happens with the moods. That mm -hmm. happens when I'm like, shit, if I'm on a high and I've gone out shopping and I just went on this major shopping spree, I'm having a great time until that bill comes in, and then yep. I'm like, crash into the ground. Like, how am I going to pay for this? Mm -hmm. So there's so many behaviors that go behind by. Polar. And I think that's why I find it fascinating, just because it's it's very mixed behavior. Mm -hmm. It's uh it's not always you don't always act crazy. So you mentioned earlier that there is a few different classifications for the different levels. What mm -hmm. is, what would the lowest level be that you could classify somebody as? Where I'm at. The level three. Yep, level okay. three. Okay. Although I hear that the new I do hear that I think that they want to come out with a, a bipolar four which would be the one that's induced by drugs or alcohol. Okay. Well, my question was, is that somebody who is is ever so slightly on that, we'll call it a spectrum. I don't know if there's a better mm -hmm. word for it, but- That works. Um, if, if somebody is like ever so slightly on that where it could kind of go either way, how do you differentiate between um, this is a mental disorder or these are just learned behaviors that you've developed patterns with? Because it is definitely interfering with your life. It is definitely having a pattern of mood. It is definite patterns of high and low. These are not just situational. These are things spin out very quickly. Mm -hmm. A lot of this has to do with mood and not getting through the mood. So it's it's a it's very cyclical. Mm -hmm. and, and it can be a rapid, I don't know if you've ever heard rapid cycling. But that is when you have the moods coming really fast. Okay. Like when my son was really young, when Jackson was young, he was a very rapid cycler, which means he could go from happy to violent within seconds. Mm -hmm. Like he would just spin through his emotions super, super fast. He could be happy. He could be laughing. He could be crying. He could be hysterical. He could be angry. Like this was all happening within 15, 20 minutes of each other. So he was really a fast cycler. 
most people who go through your moods, you even when you cry, let's say you start crying, you cry for maybe five or five or six minutes, and then you kind of that you calm down, you take a deep breath, you get through the crying, and then maybe you feel a little better, and then the day goes on and you feel better, you feel better. Okay, that's a normal form of kind of getting through your emotions or mood. Mm, with bipolar, like, it doesn't always just like that mo- moment doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get through it. It kind of sticks with you for the whole day. Mm-hmm. And so bipolar is, it's, it is really a mood disorder. Like you're stuck in a mood. It's, you can't be talked out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have severe depression, you can have moments of feeling better. But for the most part, it takes a long time to get out of a severe depression. So it, it's like it doesn't just, it's not one or two days. It's very noticeable. And what's unique about bipolar is that the people in your life know you have it. Mm -hmm. They see it. They see you changing. They see you cycling. They see your ups and downs. This is not something you can hide. Like bipolar is not a disorder you can hide. You can hide anxiety. You can hide your personalities. You can hide a little bit of your mood. But bipolar is truly very hard to hide because you're using it in so many different areas. Mm -hmm. It's your thoughts. It's your impulse control. It's how you communicate. There's so many things that are involved in it. So it's really hard to hide. So most people know that they're bipolar. They just don't want to, they don't like it. They don't like the diagnosis. Yeah. But, it's, but they kind of know. It sounds scary, right? It is scary. Yeah. So let me, let's ask you this. Somebody listening to this who uh, might think that they are they're they're leaning toward hey i might have i'm i'm think i'm showing some symptoms i'm having these low lows and these high highs um how how do you first off two questions first off how do you go about seeking treatment and then second of all what are some of the different treatments like let's somebody who's not currently seeing a therapist or a psychologist or something well like the that. first thing you want to do is get in front of a medical doctor okay and most of the time, your medical doctor probably already knows. They probably already have it written down somewhere that okay. you're having some problems. So you've either been on an antidepressant already. or And what happens is if you've been on an antidepressant, it can throw you into mania. Because mm-hmm. if you have been so low, you can get jumped up too high too fast. So I think you can already tell. if you've. It's really hard to know what the right medicine is for bipolar because remember, you're kind of going after two different episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to treat the depression and then not the not the anxiousness, not the anxiety, not the a lot of people that complain about lack of sleep or not being able to sleep or insomnia? They come in with those kind of problems. So it really depends on what medical symptom you want treated. You're not just going to go when you're in a good mood. <laughs> like, right. you're just not going to show up. Like, I think that sounds like me, but yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm not going to go. I don't want to know. If you normally seek out medicine from what, for the depression, to be honest, it's usually the severe depression part that you're going to seek help from. And then when you're with your doctor, he can ask you about, well, besides being depressed, have there ever been times when you've been, when you've had excessive energy or when you've done impulsive things or how is your sleep patterns? Do you sleep pretty consistently? What I notice about bipolar is that it's very cyclical Mm -hmm. and it does kind of go in patterns. And one of the things that I always recommend my clients to do is 
you said what it would be a symptom would be get a mood journal. Find out how many times a day you're high. How many times are you low? How many times are you normal? What's your baseline? Like once you get a really good understanding of who you are and how you're cycling through your bipolar, I think that's when you can start to feel like you have some control over it. So a mood journal is like the number one way I treat. I need to know how often are you high? How often are you low? Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm looking at. And that's kind of the treatment is different, right? It's an, it's gonna it's unique as everybody else on this planet. Mm-hmm. It depends on what symptom is causing you the most problems. Now, when my son had it, he was bipolar one, which is with psychosis, and that's the voices and the hallucinations, and that's the very most severe form of it. Mm-hmm. So we had to get those voices under control. Right. I mean, the medicine he was taking was antipsychotic. Well, a normal bipolar person wouldn't necessarily need an an antipsychotic if they're not having mm-hmm. voices. So see how these are all like they're very complicated. Like it's not, it's just not an easy, not an easy one to diagnose. Mm-hmm. How would you differentiate between level one bipolar and something like schizophrenia? Because isn't one of the main symptoms of schizophrenia hearing voices and things of that nature? The thing, the difference is, is that schizophrenia is a very calm and consistent. Okay. It's very, it's, it's catatonic. Mm-hmm. Bipolar, man, I've had, I just had the best day of my life. I just, you know, I just had the best time. Mm-hmm. You don't normally get that high with schizophrenia. It stays pretty baseline. So you're not getting the extremes and, and mood and up and down. Mm-hmm. So you can have hallucinations. You can have the audio or visual hallucinations and not necessarily be schizophrenic either. You could just be could be drug induced. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can cause that. Mm-hmm. But you can have small elements of that with bipolar and not necessarily needing um, antipsychotic medicine either. It just depends on how long those last, what they are, how intrusive they are, if they're really negative. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of people that suffer with that and they think it's normal. Mm-hmm. But the difference between the two is pretty much mood. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. Um... And, and this is this is just kind of a for fun question. I'm shooting from the hip here, but let's <laughs> say not all that way, please. <laughs> uh, let's say that you have a crime that's committed. Okay. And the like the defendant pleads in court that his bi- level one bipolar made him commit whatever crime he's being accused of. Let's say armed robbery. Okay. Something like that. Would that def- would it like a a plea of insanity or something like that? Would that hold up in court, or is it not? Is I that think, not I think far it, enough? I don't think it would. And okay. here's the reason why: because I think this would have to be someone who was hospitalized and okay. got out and committed the crime. Okay, this would have to be someone who ran away. Um, the reality is that we're all crazy. I, I don't care. <laughs> There's not a person on this planet that can't commit that crime and not be bipolar. The reality is in a moment of doing a severe crime, we are crazy because mm-hmm. you're not thinking in your right mind. You're not thinking logical. You're coming from a place of emotion or need. So <laughs> it's like I'm pretty sure something crazy is already happening. The problem is how do you use that as a defense when that's we're normally in that state of mind, right? So you have to prove that this person's bipolar disorder is that interfering with life? Does this person have a job? Have they been able to maintain a career or a job at all? 
Are they very um, erratic? Do they get in and out of hospitalizations? Are they have they cut themselves, hurt themselves? Is this a pattern of behavior that we've seen? Is this a homeless person? Like there's a lot of things that go into an extreme. But if someone just came in and said, I committed a crime and I had bipolar, you okay, prove it. Show me. Show me that you did that. Because I honestly think every time we commit a crime, we're some form of crazy. Okay, fair enough. Um, now I'm going to ask you another fun question. <laughs> okay. Um, so according to mooddisorders.ca, oh boy. which who knows if this is accurate, but they have a statistic in here that I want to see if you feel is accurate or not. Um, bipolar disorder affects approx- approximately blank percentage of the adult population in the United States. I believe that. Blank. How how many? What percent do what you percent? think? It, yeah. Probably mm, 35, 45. Percent? Yeah. Okay. So this says three to five percent. I think it's higher. You think it's higher? I think it's okay. way higher. Because think about it this way. Well, especially now. Okay, maybe that was before. Maybe that was written before. I have COVID. no idea what the date is. I was looking to see I what the date is. I was just gonna say, is that before or after COVID? Yeah. Oh, hold on. It's oh, it's citing a uh, it's citing a source from 2004. So this might be oh, a little dated. Come on. That's a little dated. <laughs> yeah, I think that's higher. Uh, okay. I, I'm I'm okay with being wrong. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with this not being a, a reputable source, so we'll go. We'll go with your answer. I just think it's probably a lot higher than that. I mean, Blue Cross Blue Shield has put out an article that says that if you've had COVID within three to five months, you're going to get either depression or anxiety. You're going to really? get diagnosed afterwards. Yes, that's what's happening with COVID. Interesting. So, can you explain? Can you go a little deeper into that? Because I'd never heard that before. Well, I wish I had the article in front of me. I don't. I I'll just see if I can pull it up. Uh, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield that came out with it. Um, I just saw it the other day too. It's it's basically saying that if you've been diagnosed with COVID, they have been seeing that those clients have been coming back three to six months later, complaining of depression and anxiety. So I don't have the exact facts of what part of COVID they had. If it's a severe, if that's the hospitalization COVID, or if that's just a basic you know, the baseline of COVID. But basically what Blue Cross and Blue Shield was saying to us therapists is like, you're about to get busy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, I've seen that proven. Like, Interesting. And do we think that it's the, do we think it's a physiological thing where the virus itself is potentially wreaking havoc on something that's in your brain causing things, signals to misfire? Or are we thinking it's a, it's a, the 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 stress and anxiety of actually having covid is what causes the symptoms that would be a great research project okay. and i have no idea i would say that it's probably doing a combination of both because that's interesting you, i mean i it's got to well first of all it has to be affecting some part of the body mm-hmm. right i mean it has to be going if it's going off of your lungs or your blood system it's going to go in your brain mm-hmm. Your brain's not separated, so that makes sense that it's going to travel to your brain. But the reality is that it interferes, COVID has interfered so much with your social norms and what you're used to that that has changed. I mean, you're off work for a week. You just lost a week work of income. Mm -hmm. How is that not going to make you depressed? For sure. How is that? And then let's say I have to socialize or cut out my family or redirect myself for a week. I mean, mm-hmm. you just got over COVID. How did that go? Well, 
COVID 23 is different than 2020 because exactly. I think that, you know, full disclosure. So I popped positive <laughs> on Sunday and then I, uh, on Monday, I felt like 80%. And then Tuesday, I felt completely fine, took a test, tested negative. Okay. Wednesday morning, took a test, tested negative. I went back to normal life. I just. So, how do you only have COVID for two days? I'm, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but all I know is I was sick on Sunday and part of it was I, I was remodeling my upstairs and you know, it's amazing how I woke up the next day and I was a little embarrassed because my body was just so unbelievably sore, just body aches all over. So like the flu symptoms. Yeah. I was like, honestly, I was a little embarrassed because I was like, this is what happens when I put in one day of hard, (laughs) like, like manual labor. It was like a 12-hour day, like an average day for anybody working construction. But I did one day, and the next morning I felt like I got hit by a bus. Um, and then I I went and I did an open house, and I came home, and I was just like, I'm not feeling that great. I'm going to take a nap. And then Chloe took my temperature, and it was like 102. There you go. Then, so you had something. Yeah. And then, but late, like I took some ibuprofen, and then I, I looked up the uh, the Dr. Joe Rogan method, and I took mm-hmm. some vitamin C, some zinc, and some vitamin D, and I did that, um, you know, every four to six hours for the next 24 hours. And then Monday, I went for, um, every hour I went for a walk around my circle, which is about two-tenths of a mile, just to get out, get the blood flowing. Because okay. honestly, when you're sick, it's if part of the reason you feel crappy is because you're just sitting around watching TV. I know. So it's so like if you can force down. yourself to get up and walk around and get your blood flowing a little bit. I I personally swear by that. All the other stuff aside, I think that if you're sick and you can force yourself to get up and just walk around a little bit, you, you'll feel much better. Well, much you're gonna quicker. you're gonna uh, run it through your body faster. Yeah, it's ex- the same thing with exactly. the water and getting up and yeah, movement. I mean, they say that that's true, and that's one of the things that's really good for bipolar as well. Like exercise. Way to bring it back. That's a professional move right there. Exercise, man. <laughs> exercise brings it back too. So yes, I think that. What you said, though, having COVID may or may not be the it's the same symptoms now, but how do we know what it is? How mm-hmm. do we know? Like, I do believe, though, that people that have had severe depression and anxiety could probably relate it back to COVID sure. at some point. Yeah. I wasn't able to find the exact article that you're looking at, but according to this study, and this is according to the NIH, mm-hmm. um, it's, it suggests a weak association between SARS-CoV-2 and anxiety, depression symptoms, especially in adults mm-hmm. that greater than 40 years old, um, which could also be amplified by previous medical or mental health conditions or and or unhealthy BMI. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, they, it appears that there's some evidence. It's a connection. Yeah. It's, I've noticed it in my business. Okay. You know, like I said, I've been a therapist for 12 years and honestly, the last three years have been the busiest of my life. I've mm-hmm. never worked this hard Yeah, because they don't have to. I mean, yeah. normally it's like, I don't have to work this hard, Yeah, but right now the need, it, it doesn't end. It, mm-hmm. I still have so, and even people that I've gotten better, mm-hmm. my clients that have recovered and, and moved on are still coming back because they're having re, you know, reoccurring incidents that they might not have had before. So it just seems like this is a busier season than it has been. Um, here's a random question. Are okay. you accepting new patients right now? 
I'm always accepting new clients. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> and if they want to reach you, like somebody in Arkansas is hearing this, you can accept patients via uh, or tell it. Well, you can't because they're out of state. They're, they're out of only state. La- you have to be a Michigan. Michigan. You have to be a Michigan okay. Michigan resident to be, uh, unless you want to pay me cash, which I'm really cool with. So <laughs> we can do cash and I can do telehealth and I have no problem with that. I like my cash clients. In fact, I love my cash clients. That's awesome. So if they want to reach out, somebody either in the state of Michigan or, or preferably in the state of Michigan will right. say, um, how can they reach you? Well, Shellyville Pot at uh, what is this? Shellyville Pod. Shellyville Pod at, at gmail.com. Yep. And, or at my business. But I want to be honest about this. What I'm doing with Shellyville, I'm not a therapist here. Like, even though that's my profession right. and we are talking about mental health, this is not professional advice. This is this is purely entertainment. This is my outlet because I talk to people all day long. And I do have something to say. And so this is kind of my personal place mm-hmm. about talking about the things that matter to me. I am not replacing your regular therapist. I'm not replacing your medical doctor. You asked me that question about what would they would do. I don't know what you would do. You'd get a hold of a doctor. <laughs> like you got to talk to yes. somebody. Yeah. You have bipolar disorder. You're not going to just take the word of someone you've heard on a podcast. Mm-hmm. You got to go get some real research on that. And, yeah, and absolutely. Talk to someone. Well, because I feel like a lot of people, they just don't know where to start because right. and maybe they've been to their primary care doc and the, they're, they've just kind of and maybe it's different today, but I'm sure five years ago, even it was like, oh, you're just sad. Go get some exercise. Go get some sunshine. Well, yeah, and, now and, you can get telehealth and right on the internet mm-hmm. like you can find there's so many companies now that are designed to help mm-hmm. mental health you would have never been able to call a company mm-hmm. like just on the internet yeah, and, for sure and do a face-to-face with someone that way mm-hmm. i mean things have really changed in the mental health for sure atmosphere but most of the time if you're if you're having severe depression or you're having extreme anxiety you're going to get in front of your medical doctor mm-hmm. first your medical doctor is going to suggest a psychiatrist or, or a, a pharmacist um a pharmacist i was going to say a pharmacist <laughs> yeah definitely gonna yeah <laughs> you need some meds yeah <laughs> and then i think that you know like maybe you need to go talk to someone and that mm-hmm. would be your social worker Okay. Well, or you're a licensed professional counselor. Let's bust a myth here real quick. Do therapists or somebody like you require a referral from a primary care doc? True or false? Uh, I do not. Okay. So is that standard in the industry? In this, yes, that is standard. You okay. do not have to have a medical. It's nice. Here's the thing: we're this is this is a referral business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I'm working with a doctor, I'm going to get some really great referrals. Mm-hmm. But that also means I'm going to get a lot of referrals mm-hmm. and maybe I don't want to work that hard. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I don't want to work with everybody that's just gotten out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to be really careful. But I think in the United States, or especially in the state of Michigan, that is wonderful. And we are lucky to have that. We don't necessarily need it. Mm-hmm. We don't need it. Okay. So you can find me. You can you you don't even have to talk to a medical doctor and talk to a therapist. Awesome. Well, we're getting a little off track here, so I'm going to reel it back in for a couple last questions. So, okay. um, you mentioned that your son had level uh, level one bipolar, which is a very serious condition. Was hearing all of the voices and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to hear this in detail, if you want to go back into our our catalog um, or our episode library, I believe it was one. It was one of the first ones. It was either number one or number two. Yep, Jackson's story. Jackson's story. Go look that up. Um, but for those who haven't heard that story yet, give us like a brief 
60 second uh, synopsis of what that was like? Well, Jackson didn't smile when he was first born. So it took him a long time. I don't think he learned to smile till he was three. Mm -hmm. He had no reason to sleep. The kid never needed to sleep. He didn't attach. Like he didn't have, there was something about him. He was just so unique. But he had like this depression about him. And as as an infant, as Mm -hmm. a baby, he carried a heaviness with him. As he got a little bit older, he cycled in and out of moods very, very quickly. And he would have rages and he would have nightmares and night terrors and and his behavior never matched like the situation we were in. Mm-hmm. It was always like the sky was falling. It was yeah. just really traumatic experiences for him. So he displayed almost textbook symptoms of bipolar disorder, which was the sleep disturbance, the lack of smiling, the just really low mood, fast fast and quick and easy anger, but he also had moments of extreme hyperness and attention deficit problems. And, you know, like he, we thought he had attention deficit at one point. I mean, he really went through all the gamut of mm-hmm. all of the emotions, but um, it wasn't until as he got in front of a therapist that we really discovered the voices and what was really going on with Jackson. And how old was he when that happened? He was five. Five. Okay. He was five. Did at any point did any any doctor that you saw think that he may have been on the autism spectrum, or was it pretty clear cut bipolar? Very clear cut bipolar. But we as parents were so frustrated. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't imagine. And this is pre-internet. You can't go on and Google (laughs) symptoms and stuff like that. Twenty twenty years ago, twenty-one years ago. Um. We were pretty frustrated as parents. And so we did get him tested. I mean, we, Brian and I, we were going to do everything we possibly could to get not only the right diagnosis, the right medicine, the right teachers, whatever we needed to do. So we did have him tested. And every time Jackson got tested, he would be like one to two points away from being diagnosed. Interesting. So they, I mean... It's a very, this is really scientific. Like, even though I'm bullshitting about this, Mm -hmm. this is really scientific. You have to like hit all those markers. You have to hit all of the criteria. So he, he presented, but wouldn't get it. And you know how we discovered that Jackson was bipolar is my doctor. Jackson was really hard for me. And I took him into this, the pediatrician, loved his pediatrician. And his pediatrician said, you know what? You're going to give your son cough medicine and two things are going to happen. Either Jackson is going to have an extreme reaction to this cough medicine and he's going to either cry or be angry or he's going to lay down on the couch and not get up. Mm -hmm. But he's going to have an extreme reaction. He goes, give him this cough medicine and let me know how he acts. Okay. So we give Jackson the cough medicine and he's on the couch flat. He Mm -hmm. is just devastated. The sky is falling. Mm -hmm. He cannot manage his moods. He's exhausted. He's crying. And we're just like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Call the doctor. The doctor says, yeah, because I was expecting that. He goes, I'm pretty sure Jackson has bipolar disorder. Interesting. So he had a severe reaction. Interesting. To a stimulant. Severe. Interesting. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's been, I mean, it was a roller coaster ride. It's yep. like, I'm going to try everything I possibly can 
to get the right answer in front of him. But I mean, I was very blessed with some incredible doctors, incredible therapists. I mean, I just, the journey that we went on with him was pretty intense. And it was ultimately the reason that you became a therapist. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Because he asked me to be his therapist and I said, I can't be yours, but I'll be somebody. (laughs) And then even before I became a therapist, I was reading a lot of books about bipolar and understanding kids and, you know, and just trying to do my best. Trying to do my best with what I had. Did you have any more questions about that? <laughs> I think I hit all of the questions. So all right. Did, is there anything that you wanted to leave us with before signing off? Well, I just want to get in. I really want to go over some of the, I think I didn't really do a good job. And I really want to say the, the things I want to say about this. Yep. Our bipolar affects our moods, our emotions, and our behaviors. It is also our thought process and what language we use. It has an impact on our impulse control. We know that it interferes with our sleep. It also interferes with our sexuality, and we either become very hypersexual or we become no interest in sex at all. So that's another piece that has to be included in this. It interferes with our health. It interferes with our relationship and how we relate to other people, our own insight. Um, We also have rapid talking or a lot of rapid ideas. We're easily bored. We need extra stimulation. We're either the most people that are extremely passionate or very creative. So, I mean, this is a huge disorder. Like it's big. It is one of the biggest, most expansive, most beautiful things because there's so many pieces here that are just, it's not all bad. Like I really want people to think not, I I get so bummed out when people are scared or afraid of this disorder because as much as it's horrible, there's also the other side. It is, there's a lot of greatness in it and there's a lot of beauty in it and there's a lot of just love in it. And so once you really get comfortable with the two sides of who we are as human beings, I mean, we've gotten comfortable with day and night. Like, you know, we live in a bipolar world. So I just want people to get comfortable with the expansion of like, I think it's the most creative brain on the planet. I really do. I think it's one of the most beautiful brains. So that's why I love it so much, because I think it's a creative I mean, I think those are all the artists and the creative people out there. You know, you'll you. There's a lot of artists out there. There's a lot of movie stars and that have bipolar. I believe it. Yeah, because it's a fun one. It's yeah, fun. <laughs> it's fun. No, that's cool. Well, are we done then? Are Go we? ahead, wrap it up, put a bow <laughs> on it. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining me in today's world. We love having you at Shellyville. If you have any questions, again, you can reach out to me at shellyvillepod at gmail.com. And I appreciate you being here, Justin. And everybody have a great day. Thank awesome. you. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>